The NFL draft may be over, but the Ringer NFL show isn't going anywhere. On Mondays, join Kevin and Nora as they look ahead to the 2021 season. And on Wednesdays, check out Flying Coach Season 2 with NFL Network's Peter Schrager and Rams head coach Sean McVay. The two longtime friends are joined by guests from around the sports and entertainment world to discuss the latest NFL news, tell stories from their careers, and break down the game from their unique perspectives. Check out the Ringer NFL show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older, 18 and older in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerMBA. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerMBA right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we're back. This is Logan Murdoch from the Real Ones podcast on KMEL. I'm here with Raja Bell. And we got the Mad Hooper here. Yeah, we're here with the Mad Hooper. And I think we're going to open it up for the audience to ask some questions to the Mad Hooper. Young lady, do you have a question for the Mad Hooper? Yeah, this is Sasha from St. Louis. And I just have a question for the Mad Hooper. Like, why are you so mad? I don't get it. Like, why are you so mad? Yeah, I'll tell you why I'm mad. I'm mad as hell about the damn sun. Um, you know, they get Booker out here. He's talking crap. And we got we got Aiden. And we got campaign dancing in the in the locker room. Swear they did anything. We all know why they're in the in the conference finals. Because AD got down, right? And the Nuggets don't got Jamal Murray. That's just the truth. Now Valley Boys could think they're all that, but they're not really all that. And that's just the cold hard truth. AD here and AD healthy, they got nothing on the Lakers. That's why I'm mad. What up? This is Logan Murdoch from Real Ones. Just want to give you guys a quick disclaimer. Just so you guys know, for the first half of the pod, our special guest host, Sarah Sohi's Zoom audio will be used. And then we'll go to our mic on the second half of the pod. Lock in. What's poppin'? Logan Murdoch here. Sasha Mack on the boards. Raj is out being a football dad. So we have a special guest co-host in the building. My dog, Sirit Sohi. What's popping, bro? Just excited to be here, Logan. You don't sound like it. You don't really sound like it. Are you excited? I am. I okay. am. Yeah, there was All quite right. there was quite a bit leading up to this. You know, now okay. I feel like we're we're pretending that we haven't been talking for the last 20 minutes. Right. So I don't know what what level I should have came in at, but I'm I, I want to tell you that I'm locked in. So mm-hmm. let's do this. Um First game, we're talking to you after the uh, Hawks-Sixers. That was probably the ugliest game I've ever seen in the playoffs. Not ever seen, but definitely one of the more ugly games that I've seen. What did you think of that game? Um, Hawks won, series tied 2-2. Tale of two halves, really. Mm. Uh, The Hawks just looked... Yo, man, like, the Hawks looked completely rattled in the first half. Yeah. Like, the Sixers were just making them look small. Like it was, it was really sad. It was like, kind of like watching a high school game where one team has a really good program and the other team is kind of just like there and they don't like, it was, it was tough. And like, I say all this to, to say like, yo, good good for the Hawks, honestly, because everything that I'm about to say did 
happening that happened in the first half did not happen in the second half. First of all, John Collins and Capella just looked terrified of Joel Embiid. Like any they look like they in- look like Matumbo and in the O one finals, both of them, just like playing up against Shaq. That's what they look like in the first half, even though Joel didn't play well. They just look Matumbo helpless. Got, he got rocked like that. I thought he was, you know, supposed to be. He was a defensive you know, player of the year and met yeah. Shaq and was not about that life. But that was just him in the first half. In the second half, they balled out. It seemed like, but no, like it just seemed like it seemed like a game where the Sixers were in control throughout the whole game. And I wasn't really expecting the Hawks to win. It doesn't seem like that until the second half. But does this say anything? Does this say anything about the series? I still have the Sixers winning. I could still see them winning the next two games and it'd just be it's over. But does this mean anything to you? Does this game actually mean anything in terms of the series? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is just how hurt Embiid is. Like, so yeah. Joel Embiid has he has a he has a torn meniscus and he's playing through it. I think we should just we should just say that every day, just to remind everybody he is playing through a torn meniscus. That is not like your regular wear and tear. Like, oh, it's a playoffs warrior mentality. You just got to push Sir, through. What is he playing with? Like, what is he playing with? I believe it's a torn meniscus. Okay. He he was holding on to his knee at the end of the second half, or was it? It was like after the it was the first when he went he went back with with Elton Brand, and no one really knew what was going on. I thought maybe you know they were just hanging out, talking shit. He's mm-hmm. not like a doctor or anything, um, but clearly something <laughs> clearly something happened because uh, he went like over six third quarter, um, over. I think, I mean, I think probably, I don't know what it was, but they kept feeding him. And that was to me, like the biggest thing, like he, his attempt to try to play through whatever it is that he's dealing with really made things difficult. Cause they continue to run things through him too, when they probably shouldn't have like his defense and his rebounding were amazing. And if you want, if he wants to push through, he wants to push through, like ultimately that's, that's on him. Uh, but he's just not, he wasn't effective on offense. And like, to me, that's, that's huge because like the Hawks can't guard him um, for most of the series. They haven't really been able to double him either. Like I was kind of thinking like after the first half, I was like, man, like they, they just can't double him. They have no choice yeah. but to play him straight up and hope that it works out because like, I mean, like, I mean, Chuck, Chuck was, did you watch, did you watch a halftime show? I did watch that halftime show on TNT. Yo, Chuck, yes, I did. <laughs> Yo, Chuck was, that was honestly like one of the better halftime shows. Um, yes. Chuck was just roasting the hell out of their defense. And like, you can't bring Trey Young for over for a double on Embiid, which you can't. And then Shaq went over and like told underdog to come <laughs> on. And it's like, yo, Hey, underdog, 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 come over here and go with me. Come over here. Come over here. Natalie, give me the ball. Just okay. to show the viewer. <laughs> it was the only double team with one person. And it, yeah. and it was still, it still made complete sense. It totally worked. It totally worked. Um, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so, I mean, you know, I, th- I think later on in the fourth, like they kind of found some doubles at work. Like part of that, I think is Embiid was hurt. Uh, they figured some stuff out. Collins was amazing. And he actually started rotating a lot better, had a great second half after just like not really existing in the first half. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, it's just, that's, that's to me going to be the story of the series. Just like how injured as Embiid, how much can he produce on offense? And like going forward from here, like how much are the Hawks really going to double him? I almost feel like they should just see how he's feeling and in, in game five and go from there. What the, the weird thing about the Sixers is with Embiid hurt the way he is and Ben Simmons, not a jump shooter. It's weird that they have to, they have to go to their supplementary pieces now. And they didn't do that down the stretch to this game. You know, you talk about Seth Curry, who was killing at three threes, seven of 10 from the field, but it was odd that they didn't get him the ball down the stretch, right? When you see Joel is clearly hurting, they gave him the ball, they gave Joel the ball down, down the stretch and he couldn't push off of that leg. Do you think that this is a series where yeah, OMB can get you there with his rebounding, with his defense, but you're going to have to have other guys like Seth Curry and Tobias Harris shoot those shots down the stretch. And what kind of, what does that kind of say about the Sixers where your two best players, at least at this point, can't get it done for you down the stretch? Well, I mean, with, with Embiid, I, I think he was more hurt than it was anything else, right? Like, I, I think there's actually a way to reliably run crunch time offense through him. But yeah, I mean, they really need guys to hit shots now. That's something that they, I don't think they necessarily would have needed. Like, honestly, this was actually like a very, 
like emotional, I imagine game for Sixers fans, because after that first half, I I'm thinking like, Oh my God, like, first of all, Embiid and Simmons just know how to play together and are just manipulating the Hawks. Like the Hawks wanted to, to push the pace. And then Simmons is like, Oh, you guys want to play a transition game? Like we're better at that than you. So we're just going to go do that. And they hit a bunch of shots. And then like later on, they slow it down with Joel before he gets hurt. And it just looks like things are coming together for the Sixers. Like Harris has been playing well. They don't have it. Like they've had the injury to Danny green, but ultimately like when you look at the injuries that are going on in the league, that's not that you know, catastrophic for a team at this juncture. Like things looked really, really good. And now it seemed like, like they were I, coasting for a bit in a good way though. Right. Like they had everything right, under control yeah. down, down in the second half. Yeah, no, it felt, it felt like that. Like even Trey coming back in the, in the second quarter, he was much better. Than he was in the first and he ended up having a fantastic game. Should have had honestly 30 assists based on how many guys he was setting up for, for layups that, that didn't go in. Um, but yeah, like that was, that was also the Sixers physicality too. And like, you saw a lot of that more in, in the first half as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, like it, it kind of, I feel like the complexion of this series actually kind of changed in this second half. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I really loved about this game is I think we forgot just aesthetically, you know, everything is all about offense. And I think we forgot about how entertaining a physical basketball game Mm -hmm. can be. And I was, it was a welcome sight. Did you see that at all? It felt, it was fun to watch an imperfect game. And I think that we've, oh, I love it. We've, we've looked to see like an analytically driven, perfect game. And, and sometimes it's just not like that, right? You want to see, uh, you know, obviously you want to see the excitement of like a Warriors or something like that. But this was a very fun game, man. I love the physicality tonight. Oh, it was awesome. And it was just like, it's really great to see. Uh, players try to level up on that against each other because that's something that ultimately like anybody can bring, like there are guys going to be better at it. There's guys that are going to be stronger, but like, you know, I felt like watching that game, it went from the Sixers are just literally throwing these guys around doing whatever they want. to like the Hawks just didn't go away. Like they just kept coming, coming back at it. And like, honestly, to me, like that, the biggest compliment there goes to like, goes to Capella and Collins. Like I love watching that. It's so much fun. Cause like, they're young dudes. And it's like, you're actually, you're actually finding out. Like, I feel like physical basketball, like kind of, it shows you where you're at as a player. And it also like teaches us a little bit, something more about where a player is at too, in terms of like, can they adjust to this right away? Like how quick, how hard is this going to be? Like, I feel like Capella has gone from like being just like, it was so easy for Embiid to, he started to figure out a few things, uh, probably still more that he's hurt, but yeah, it's a ton of fun. Like you're seeing that in like a ton of other series too. It's just like, and like a lot of guys can score, but you know, who, who has it, like who can like, you know, tap into the, that reserve. Like that's what physical basketball tells you. So it's, it's so much fun. What do you, I, I want to talk about this, this Hawks team, because it seems like they're one of those, I don't really want to compare teams, but it seems like, the team that's a year away, right? The team that is trying to figure itself out um, in the postseason. And it's they, they haven't have everything figured out yet, but it seems like they're learning right now. And I think that next year, I don't, I don't know if they win this series. Even if they do, I don't see them, you know, they're not, they're definitely not winning a title, but they seem to be growing in this way. Do you kind of see a coming of age with this team? Because I feel like this has been the postseason of coming of age stories like this. And we talk about Utah and things like that. What do you see that from the Hawks? Yeah, totally. I mean, everyone's kind of, this has been such a fun postseason because of that. Like everyone's just kind of getting an opportunity to show who they are, even Embiid to another extent, right? Like him really just being willing to, to push through this. Like that's, that's kind of his biggest crutch, I guess, is just the fact that he's, he's always getting hurt. And like, you know, watching him do that has been amazing. Like watching him in game three in particular, just finding like a new peak, but it's, it's awesome. It's, it's like, it's awesome watching, watching the Hawks do that too. Um, yeah, I totally agree with you though, because like, to me, the biggest thing is really just like Trey's development. Like, what did you think of, what did you think of how he kind of managed this game? Um, I, I love it. You know, I think that it's, when we talk about coming of age, I really, my, my, uh, opinion of Trey has been just that it's been a coming of age story is like, um, you know, it seems like I got caught up in the flashiness and early on. Right. And then, you know, I'm not going to lie before I even wrote the piece that you can check out um, on the ringer.com. Um, just about before I wrote that, I was still on the fence about him, but I do love the way he manages games. I do love the way that, um, he plays the game. And I think, 
what's overshadowed about his game is the way he talks shit and the way that he his what everyone perceives as antics, right? But mm-hmm. he's a really good basketball player, a really good point guard. And I think that you see the ability during the regular season, but where he proved that ability is in the postseason. And you kind of saw that in the garden and you saw and you see that now. I mean, he didn't shoot particularly well tonight. He went eight for 26, but he did manage the game. And I think that's when you see um, how good a point guard is or how good a player is. Yeah, he might have a terrible shooting night or she might have a terrible shooting night. But if they can um, manage the game, especially down the stretch, it really doesn't matter. Because this was one of those sloppy games where really di- where shooting percentage really didn't matter. And I was really impressed by uh, Trey. Today, Sarit, um, ESPN reported that the NBA Competition Committee is exploring rule changes to restrict unnatural jump shots and unnatural jump shot motions. Um, Basically, they're trying to get rid of what we see from James Harden um, and Trey Young and others where they it seems like they're trying to bait for calls, right? Where they put Mm -hmm. their arm motion and they're trying to um, use their body to um, cause fouls. So I don't know how I feel about this because whether you blatantly do it or don't do it, like, people are going to try to draw contact no matter what. So what do you think the difference in this is? Because, um, and I'm going to read an excerpt from, from what Wode said. There's a growing belief that many of these maneuvers are contributing to a game where the advantage is slanting too much towards the offense. While the concentration of issues is often focused on star players getting much more usage and exposure with the ball, the league sees this as a universal problem throughout lineups and rosters, not only as an issue for star players. I just feel like in a league that has by and large focused on offense and made that their bag for the last decade, it's kind of curious that they're saying that it's slanting too much, like the advantage is slanting too much towards offense because it seems like that's what the league would want, right? Because they want the they want these high scoring games and they want these things, but do they just want it without free throws? What do you think about this ruling? Do you think that this should be um, this should be a change, a rule change that exists? Yeah. I mean, I think that, well, look at the games that we watched today, right? Like we were just talking about how much fun it is to watch physical basketball. And I think that's generally like a pretty universal feeling. I think people like watching it, um, for the NBA, I think what they're trying to do is find a balance between this is the eternal balance that basketball is always trying to find actually between physicality and grace, essentially like basketball was invented because you know, men needed nonviolent football and it's always kind of tended towards getting more aggressive as things get more competitive, obviously, as people just look for more edges and stuff. And and the rule book has always worked as a way to kind of maneuver around that and find a way to let, you know, players literally just move. Um, whether that's, you know, the, th- the three point line, taking away hand checking. I mean, just like pretty much any, any rule has been most of the rules have been, have been intended to create some level of space. Even the flagrant fouls that we're talking about like that, those got more strict after the bad boys pistons. Um, and I think right now we're at a place where that balance is actually like in a pretty bad place because playing defense on certain guys is actually just become impossible. Um, cause it's not just, it's not just Trey and Harden. Like at this point it's, it's Donovan Mitchell baiting Dylan Brooks into fouls in the first round. Right. It's like, it's, it's Luka Doncic. It's, it's everyone. I mean, like any, any, like Curry had more incent was, was trying to draw more fouls this year, you know, cause once something becomes successful, everybody else is going to copy it. Like all the other players also want this advantage. Right. So that to me is a signal, right? Like it's, it kind of depends. Like, can you, in some cases, I think like with a lot of these evolutions in the game, you can let things run their natural course. Um, but I think in this particular case with the way that the game is called, like, I don't think that anybody has found an effective way to play defense against modern stars without picking up fouls. And it's been a while now. Like, I think we've kind of, we've, we've reached a point where, I think it's time to accept that like most teams aren't really going to figure this out. Like, unless, you know, like you're, it was, I was, I was in Giannis's press conference like two days ago and he was talking about getting around screens and he was like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm working on it, but like for anybody that's seven feet tall, like no one's going to be better at it 
than me but the thing is like it's just a really hard thing to do and it's also like it puts players in really precarious positions too like he he said like for me that's a shoulder injury and I think that that's that's another concern too like if you are you know if you're if you're trying to defend Kevin Durant if you're trying to defend Trey Young all you're thinking about is how do I get around this guy who is just his his whole function as a giant human being is to pummel me so that Trey Young can get a little bit more space like that, you know, as, as the games get more competitive, that gets a little bit more dangerous too. Um, because like guys come up, come around screens. They don't have any, any more time, right? Like they can just, you can just pause if you're Trey Young. And if your guy is coming around too aggressively, you just wait, you shoot and he's in your hip and that's three, that's three free throws. And that is a foul. So yeah, I think that does need to change. I think that it's just becoming a little too hard. Like there's just really no, I don't, I don't see the puzzle piece. Like it could be wrong, right? Like that's kind of up to, maybe we'll figure it out by the end of the playoffs, right? Like that's always the interesting thing to watch, but yeah. I'm just curious. Cause I don't know if this is going to make it necessarily a cleaner game in theory. I think it does, but stars are always going to get star calls. I mean, that's not good. You're not going to litigate your way out of that, in my opinion. Um, but you, I don't, I don't, I don't know how long do you enforce this? Because let's be honest, man, refs get refs get tricked all the time. Mm-hmm. Like there's not a, you know, especially if there's not a, um, you know, there's always rules where, you know, it happens in theory, it works. And I just, I'm just not sure if it'll be enforceable is my biggest thing is I don't, I don't know because, um, if you see it, like it's all instinct when you call as a ref, when you're calling fouls, if you see something, get somebody get grabbed, you're going to call that. So, uh, I'm just curious. I don't really know. Do you think that this is going to actually make a difference? Right. Because I mean, first we didn't have, um, like Michael Jordan used to slap his wrist, so they could call a foul, right? Mm-hmm. There are obviously going to always be um, mm-hmm. players baiting refs by and large. Yeah. Do you think that that's going to stop or is this just going to, it's not going to be as blatant as it, that is, no, it, is it, ne- it never stops, right? Like it never stops. Um, but that's kind of the thing, right? Like you, I think like as it, for the rules committee, I think their job is to look at what players are doing and see what's good and see what like is, is good for the game and then try to like, extinguish what isn't and for them you know these things do work like Kevin Durant the the rip through foul we see far less of that I think him and CP3 are pretty much like the only guys in the league that really consistently do it um that was one that was legislated out and I think this is kind of a similar situation where these are not like necessarily situations where guys are tricking refs but just taking advantage of rules that already exist yeah, no, we'll see. I mean, leaving the rip through, I think Kevin does it now when, you know, his, the other team has 14 fouls and he knows mm-hmm. he's going to get to the line. I think that's the only time when you see it now, but you're right. I mean, that that did, it didn't get legislated out, but I think people use the game smarter now. You know, like, like I said, like Ke- Kevin and Chris Paul, they now just do it when, you know, they want to just get a quick, uh, quick get to the free throw line for that 15 foul. So we'll see. I just don't, I, I don't know. By and large, if it's going to affect anything, it's honestly my worry. But, you know, we'll see, man. Um, let's take another quick break and we will uh, talk about something near and dear to Jomi's heart. And we are back. I know I teased Jomi, but I'll be back in a second. I want to talk about something near and dear to his heart, though, which is the Clippers who evened the series 2-2 after he went over the Jazz. This is an interesting game, man. It might have been the most boring competitive game I've ever seen. Sir, what were your thoughts of this game? Because it was just, it was one of those things that where it was like, it was a drag. It wasn't fun. I'm not sure if I had fun watching this game. The Clippers went up big. Utah made a brief comeback. And then mm-hmm. it was just one of those games where the, the suspense is like, are they going to kick it to, are they going to push the, the deficit to eight? Are they going to push it to seven? And then no, then the Clippers go up 20. And you're just having that mental just like, should I watch this game? Should I not? What did you think about this game? Do you think you just had a hard time watching the Clippers dominate? No, no, I don't Do you think, think so. Do you think that didn't compute to you as a potentially enjoyable experience? I, I have a complicated experience. I have a complicated relationship with the Clippers. I think it's because I think that they're better than they are. I think that they should, with the talent that they have on their roster, they should steamroll through the playoffs. And maybe they just don't have the charisma. Maybe they just don't have whatever. 
that I want in a postseason team, but it is a tough watch. What do you think? Let's let's just go into my mind, here. What do you think that I think about the Clippers? Because that was a funny question. What, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you, I think knowing your cheering history, Lakers, then mm. like some Warriors, like it feels like you've had some affinity towards every California team except for the Clippers. That's where I was coming from. It just wasn't a fun game to watch, but. Kawhi Leonard is hurt for the umpteenth time. Are you concerned about this? Because I just, I don't know. Because every time he goes down with a knee injury, like there's this, there's this collective, oh my God, is he going to be okay? And then he comes right back up with a limp and scores 45. Should I be concerned with this latest injury from Kawhi? Like they, they, they took him out for the last five minutes, Tyloo did. Won a game that was kind of still in the balance. That could be concerning, but I don't know because it's Kawhi. What do you think? Yeah, I I don't know. It, I guess we'll just have to kind of wait and see. You never like a you never like a non-contact injury. I mean, it just kind of leaves me with a conflicted feeling. It's it's a lot like the last game where the team completely dominated and then just lost their best player and you're like, "Okay, well, now I don't really know how to see you guys." Mm-hmm. Cuz the Clippers look really good. I feel like they have yeah, they been did that team. For like the team that you have wanted them to be for the last two games, like they kind of, the Jazz have not had an answer since game three. And it's just been like, you know, play smaller and, you know, make life really difficult for Gobert and just drive on into favors and be Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard, like that's, that's what makes it so tough. Like, I really hope he's okay. Cause like he actually like just flipped the switch. And went into like complete Terminator Terminator mode, you know, like, and he can do that. And he's been doing that. You know, he turned it on a little bit in Dallas and he's turned it on now. And it feels like now he's probably realized that if he wants to carry this team, he actually, well, he has to do that. Like, you can't just kind of like, you know, float through these moments, but then immediately gets hurt, which is kind of why he tends to, I think, not do that. So I don't know. I'm curious to see if he'll be able to. I don't know. I don't know. We just don't yeah. really know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> it does seem like the series turned when they did go small, though, right? When they did yeah. play the small ball lineup. And it's funny because the Utah's anecdote to the small ball lineup, or at least what they thought was, was to put Derek Favors in and you just put in another big. Like, what do you think that the the Jazz can do to combat when the Clippers go small? Yeah, I mean the the favors minutes are such a such a big L for Utah right now. Like Gobert had to come back in like really early in the third quarter. Like he barely got any break and I think that like probably impacted how things went in the fourth just because like every time Favors is in the game, PG and Kawhi are just going to eat. Like Yeah. There's there's just like that's just something they figured out in the matchup and I think at this point like they just have a confidence about it too where they're just like, yeah, we're just going to go with this guy and see what happens. Um, you know, as far as responses they could have, I don't know. Like, that's kind of the issue with Utah. Like, that's that's what makes guarding a guy like Kawhi or a guy like PG so hard for them is, like, they don't really have that, like, rough, you know, 6'10", six, six six ten, six nine tweener type that can, like, help them play small and, like, take, like, the some of the bigger matchups and stuff, right? Like, Royce O'Neal is not going to get that done for you. I mean, he had a pretty good second half defensively, but he can't, you know, he can't be like the small ball guy for them. And I don't really, like, yeah, they don't have that guy. Well, how do you evaluate Gobert as a defender, right? Because when he's obviously one of the best defenders in the league, but we see this time and time again, that when you go into the postseason, his kryptonite is when you play small against him. By and large, you saw that with the Warriors when, when the, when Utah was playing them a few years back. And then you see that now, how do you evaluate him as a defender? He's a great, he's a great rim protector, but I'm not sure that he he always gets twisted around and pick and rolls when it comes to when it comes to the postseason. And they have he has to get attacked. So how do you how do you evaluate him? I, I thought he was fine today. Like I actually thought, I thought he had a he had a really good start to the third quarter. He was really dominant. Um, you know, just trying to remember some of the plays now, but just not really like letting anybody get to the rim. And I think he's improved as a pick-and-roll guy. And certainly in this series, it just doesn't seem to be that big of a problem when he gets stuck on switches. Like, it's definitely not the most fun, but it's not something that's terrorizing him by any means. 
Uh, I think it's tough for him sometimes when he has to guard Batum and then come back to the to try to protect the rim. But for the most part, he's actually done a pretty reasonable job, honestly. Like to me, it's the moments that he's not on the floor. Um, but it's an interesting discussion, though. Like I think for the longest time. Defense was evaluated by, like, who protects the rim the best, and it's still a really important part of the game, but, like, the game is changing so much that you do have to kind of be able to do everything. Um, but, yeah, like, it's just not really, like, a question you used to hear, like, can this guy defend everybody? That wasn't, that wasn't like, the criteria. Even in the day of days of, like, Dwight Howard, you know? Like, that's... This is all kind of new. Um, but it's an interesting discussion. I didn't, I didn't vote him uh, uh, Defensive Player of the Year, so, like, I... Kind of on that page, but at the same time, like, man, like, rim protection is still, like, the most important thing in basketball. Yeah, but it's funny because, like, to your point about that, even, like, five, six, seven years ago, Amir Ashik was getting bags just because he could defend the rim. And, like, mm-hmm. oh my all gosh. these players were getting... The Turkish You, you, see, the you see the vibes. But now you have to defend the rim and guard all five positions now. And it's really a tough ask to even do. And it's it's just weird how we've evolved with that. I don't even know what the perfect defender is right now. Is it Draymond? Is it, I don't know. Like, what is that right now? Is it Kawhi Leonard? That's what, see, that's interesting, right? Because Kawhi, I was going to ask about Kawhi and in game three in particular, they put Kawhi on Donovan Mitchell. And um, it's weird when you do that because Kawhi, it's, Kawhi, when he was first two years on the Spurs, you could put him on the best guy because, by and large, they just needed him to be a defender And while his offensive game developed. Now he's a primary scoring option, so you don't necessarily want to put him on the other team's best player for all, all the time he's on the floor. So it's it's just weird how to balance that. I guess Kawhi is, but then he's an offensive player and he could get tired out. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think like the way, the way that Kawhi is used best is probably being a help defender. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially in this series. Like, I feel like he's he's swiped Mitchell from the side a couple times. Um, he can come with, like, the strong double on Gobert. Uh, he's at, in, like, his length, he has, like, one of the most incredible wingspans, which is why he was just able to <laughs> yak all over Derek Favors, which was, by the way, one of, like, I think the, the most important... In NBA, one of the best dunks in Maybe. NBA history. Dude, he, he went through his stomach... Yes. That's really hard. Yes. I've never, I mean, not from, not from personal experience. It just, it looks really hard, you know? He had a bunch of those moments today where I just felt like the Clippers weren't going to let them lose a game. And like, back to the point of like, you, you know, you said the game was boring. It was just like. It was inevitable. Maybe yeah. not boring, but it was inevitable. You just kind of knew, you could look at the Clippers and kind of know that they weren't going to let the Jazz win this game, which was super impressive because I think that like. It would be a very Clippers thing to like let the Jazz shoot themselves back into the game, right? The thing though was like for a, for a second and a third quarter, you kind of thought it, right? You did, but that dunk was like one of the bigger moments. That just like there were a couple moments where like Kawhi, especially he had he had that block on Mitchell coming back. He had a couple moments where he just swung the momentum he back. Bl- he, he, hit, blocked, he, he hit blocked some Bogdanovich big threes. Too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I th- I feel like they knew what was going to happen, right? Like. This is just what happens in the league now. Like you just go up big because everybody can shoot. And these are like the two highest volume three-point shooting teams left in the playoffs. They're going to have some lopsided results. And like for the Jazz, you need to know like, hey, let's be able to get through this. And I think they actually did a pretty good job of that. But the Clippers also like kind of responded to that knowing like, hey, this lead is not actually as safe as we think it is. This is a really good team. They're going to keep fighting back. But like the Clippers just didn't, like, they were so aggressive that whole game, just mm-hmm. driving into the paint over and over again. Um, their defensive rotations were amazing. Like, I feel like ever since it, 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 getting more is at the five, playing smaller, like, they're just, they just have like more synchronicity on both ends. Um, and it makes them really, really scary. Uh, but yeah, just not knowing, not know, having experienced all of that and just like a really consistent Clippers game, then to have Kawhi get hurt at the end, like, I don't know. It just kind of puts a damper on it. Like, it's just like this team is peaking, but there's this tension because, like, 
You just but don't I think know as what long it is as Kawhi is playing, there's going to be that tension, right? Because he d- yeah. we've known this since Toronto. He has knee issues. He has yeah. leg issues. That's just and what it's the it same is. thing with Embiid, right? Like the Sixers are finding this new level, but at the same time, it's like they're do the guy who makes it all go is just like he has so much on his shoulders and an yeah. injury history. Like Kawhi, Kawhi and, and and Embiid as two way players are both just being asked to do so much. In, in both series, like Embiid has to defend Trey Young. He has to like prevent the lob. He has to be an offensive threat, get like, you know, 10 post-ups a game minimum. He like, has to be a superstar, but he has to be a superstar, but he doesn't have superstar type health that he needs, yeah. right? Like that's pretty much what it is. He has to do what he has to do, but he just, the health-wise, both of them may not be able to do it on a consistent basis. And I think that also that's why, at least for this Clippers team, that's why series may go longer than they're supposed to, right? Because you're not going to be able to get 100% out of these two players on a consistent basis. Is that fair to say, do you think? Embiid and, and Kawhi, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I think, like, speaking of like, having a lot on your shoulders, Donovan Mitchell, right? Like, he has to score for go. this Jazz team. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, But no, he has to score for this Jazz team, and I just can't, like, they need, and I'm not sure if they need, you know, Conley get out of this series. I believe they do, but... Without Conley, a lot of pressure is on Donovan Mitchell to score. And me, you know, me and Raja talk about this all the time. When your star, one of your star players are out, especially one of your scoring stars and one of your facilitators are out, that makes a Roy Shung have to play, you know, out of his element. That makes a Joe Ingles have to play out of his role. And I'm starting to see that with Donovan Mitchell, right? When he he has to play out of his element too, has to score a lot, but it always seems like he's scoring just to keep them into the game. Does that do you see more balanced scoring coming back when they go back to Utah? Yeah, because, you know, role players always play a little bit better at home. Um, and that that is exactly, I think that's exactly kind of what happened, right? Like you had that trickle-down effect. And while Mitch, Mitchell shot himself into the game and, you know, he's going to figure out a way to get his offense, like that first half, they just needed way more from Bogey and Ingles. Um, and they just didn't get enough at all. That changed in the second half. Just a lot more aggression. Honestly, another like really two really similar games in that like the first half and the second half for Utah were just so utterly different in terms of just effort and, and execution that it's hard to even like put the two against each other. Um, but yeah, like I think they just needed more from both of those guys, and I think that's like kind of where it impacts them the most. Like Mitchell's a superstar; he's going to be fine. But you know, like getting. Getting Joe Wingles like the secondary pick and roll on the side so that he can just like go to work and like either he hits a floater or he's hit hit and go bear, like that type of stuff, it becomes harder to get into those actions when you don't have like the setup man in, in Conley and like Mitchell getting gravity elsewhere. Um and also it just makes Mitchell's life so much harder. The guy's like obvi- like he was limping like for most of the fourth quarter. Um like clearly tweaked his ankle a little bit there and just like was somehow continuing to get to the rim and like actually like just seemed to have like a pretty endless reservoir. Like also shout out to all, like I know that it's not something that we need to valorize by any means, but like also like, let's just honor, honor how much enemy these dudes are like playing through like injuries right now. There are so many NBA players that are just like pushing through. It's crazy. Like you That's got jo- Joel Embiid with an actual. By the way, I don't know if you heard this, but Joel Embiid tore his meniscus, and he's yes. playing basketball right now. Yeah, I couldn't get out of bed in with a torn meniscus. I couldn't do it. I I'm like tired from watching playoff basketball. Yeah, no, but it's funny because it's like <laughs> we were talking uh, before. We've watched a we've watched a lot of basketball over the last year and a half, but they played a lot of basketball over the year, like, last year and a half, and I like. I know there's been stories out about injuries during this time, but like, man, there's been a lot of basketball to be played and whoever wins this title, it's going to be one of the hardest titles you've ever won. And I don't even know if it's going to be hard to repeat because they're going to go from (laughs) a July finals to back to normal. There ain't going to be no, you know, it's back to normal, back to October. Uh, I think it's September uh, uh, training camp. It's going to be, it's going to be a lot, man. So they're still carrying, they're carrying all of the fatigue from the previous season too. Like, it's not like a lot of guys aren't really going to get a good rest for that. The one thing is, like, there is most of the teams that are remaining in the playoffs didn't go deep into the bubble, which is, by the way. Duh, right. Duh. Duh. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But yeah, it's just like there's the Clippers there's would be, be so the only one teams. if they if they get past this round, they're the only team need to like to eclipse what they did last season. I think right them or the, in the Bucks. Yeah, yeah, but it won't. There won't be any team that repeats in the Eastern Eastern or Western Conference. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think that that's been it's been weird to just go through this postseason where there's no. Um, there's no old school starter. There's no Steph. There's no LeBron. There's none of these guys. There's a lot of younger players that we're kind of starting to get to know. And maybe that's different, right? Like maybe that's what you don't really have a star star player that's been deep into the postseason like a Steph or a LeBron. So it's been an adjustment, I think, just to even watch this postseason. It's been fun. Like you know, you see in Trey Young, you see the John Morant moments. But I don't know, man. It's it's just been a, it's been a weird postseason after a, another weird postseason. We're getting old. I know I am. All right, on that note, let's take a little mm-hmm. break. <laughs> and we are back. I want to talk about a story that came out today, Sarah, from um, the homie of both of ours. Shout out Tim Cato from The Athletic. Dropped a story on, um, on Luka Doncic. Him and uh, Sam Amick dropped a story. It was called Inside the Mavericks Front Office. Mark Cuban's shadow GM is causing a rift with Luka Doncic. So the story centers around Luka Doncic's uh, relationship with Herelibas Vulgarius, the director of quantitative research and development. Now, Luka and a lot of people have beef with him. And this story pretty much reads like Luka wants to get this man about the paint. Do you, would you agree with that? Like, how does how did you when you first saw the story? What was your reaction on this series? Because for me, it just seemed like okay, Luca's trying to leak something. Luca's team is trying to leak something and trying to get this out the paint. And I, I just don't know. Like, it seems to go through this arc that we've seen with superstars, right? Where, um, you know, they get a lot of they they get success very early. Just want to test their leverage a little bit, right? Or just want to just be like, okay, I might not like this person. I might just test. This real quick. We've seen that. Um, I think we saw that. We saw that with uh, Giannis a couple years back. He had a story with ESPN. It was like basically, um, I know in certain terms, if we don't build a champion, I might consider leaving. Something like that. And it seemed like something along those lines. Like it's not. We're not. You know, we're not saying we're going to leave, but you know, it's kind of a bit of a tension. Now, Luca has a two hundred million dollar extension about to come up that he can sign very soon. In 2022, should we? What should we worry about this story affecting that? No, (laughs) (laughs) it's a lot of money. Yeah, (laughs) but like, what should we take away from this story? Right, and shout out to Amick and 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 Kato for getting this story, getting this scoop. But what should we take away from this? Because all I take away from it is like, yo, Luca doesn't like this guy. And a lot of words saying that Luca doesn't like. Well, this so, guy. someone doesn't like this guy. Someone doesn't like someone this guy. Someone doesn't include, like this guy, including, yeah. according to league sources, Luca Doncic. Yeah, because that's the whole hook of the story. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think it's. It doesn't really seem to go much deeper than that. Um, I think if you're Luca, you know, you probably do have to look at some of the moves the Mavs have made and say, hey, like. Give me some help, you know, like, but at the same time, like, I think if you look at Dallas, like, this is just a franchise that started winning too soon. Like, Luca just ended up being ready to go way before he should be ready to go. Like, these guys should be yeah. in, like, a rebuilding phase right now. So, instead of that, like, they're in this, like, awkward try to get a bunch of guys that can help us contend sort of situation without really having a lot of the assets to do it, which is always difficult. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's kind of, it's kind of strange because like, obviously like Donnie Nelson, who is so like a a good chunk of the article is kind of like about, there seems to be this power friction where like, you know, Donnie Nelson has run the franchise forever and he was, you know, one of the biggest guys like pushing for, for drafting Luca, which seems like pretty good move. Um, And, between him and uh, and uh, Herolibos. And basically, seems like Mark Cuban might be a little bit in love with the guy that he hired and wants to just go with what he says. 
Uh, which seems like a reasonable thing. Like, you know, we've had some, we had the Chandler Parsons situation with Mark Cuban. It seems like sometimes, you <laughs> he know, he does get it. He falls in love with dudes. He definitely yeah, falls in love yeah. with dudes. He falls in love with people. Yeah, he's, he seems like the guy that just like has a new best friend every year. You know? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, so it's, I, I can see him kind of just being like, look guys, like get your shit together. Cause I'm going to sign this thing. Um, but I obviously want to win a championship, and if you watch the playoffs, I definitely need some help. Um, but, man, like, he's going to sign this contract, and he's not going to be up until 2027. Like, this is just kind of like, I think you're spot just, on. You think yeah? it's just like, is he just testing, just like, eh, you know, just, I, I'm putting you on notice right now. Yeah, I mean, look, I, it's it doesn't even, I wonder if it's even that deep, you know? Like, I think... As we all get older and like if you accumulate a little bit more power, you want to just see where the like the line is. You want to see what you can do with it. Mm. Um, I think Luca, Luca's playing with his toys. You know, <laughs> Luca's playing with his toys. He's he's seen what he can do. <laughs> yeah. He's te- again, I mean, I think That's hidden in all like of this. Said. Hidden in all of this is Luca do be testing motherfuckers. He does he does do that. He he very early on, you know, he did the, he had his little beef with with uh Rick Carlisle, right? Um and now this story drives and I'm not blaming Luca for this. It just seems like that's just seemed like what this is. Either a power struggle which it's a power struggle between um Donnie Nelson this is how it reads. And for context, Mark Cuban tweeted out that this story was quote bullshit. So um, which I don't expect anything different. <laughs> well, if, if you read the story, I don't think I wouldn't expect any different of response from um, Mark Cuban. But you know, I just that's what it seems like. We'll see what happens. I don't think much of it. It was. I think if Luca really wanted to push the button, he could have Bro fired. Honestly, because if you like, who would you choose? You would choose Haralibos, or would you choose Luca Doncic? Yeah, that's what it is. That's kind of okay. That's the one thing that makes me kind of wonder if there's something else going on. Cause, like, I mean, if Luca really hates this guy that much, you know, I, I just think he'd be probably gone. I don't know. Yeah. That's what it seems like. I don't know, man. It's just something like, why to is monitor. This, like, why is this a story? Like, why, why huh? is this a public story? You know what I'm saying? Like, well, it could have been an email. Yeah. Could have been an email. It could have been an email or a text. Could have been a text. Hey, yeah. hey, yo, um, Mark, yo, this is Luca. Yo, Mark, holla at me real quick. Yeah, I don't, I don't like the way things is going right here. You know, what I mean? or maybe there was a call and he said, "Yo, you know, if you don't do this, I'm about to, you know, yeah." And then this came out. Maybe I don't know, but I just feel like it's just, it's just an odd time story. It's all I would say. It just seems mm-hmm. a little bit weird. Yeah. Um, Have you ever seen anything like this happen and then it like go the other way and like the guy does leave? I don't know. I, oh, well, I remember when uh, the biggest parallel to this, I think, is like LeBron in 20, uh, 2009, 2010. And, but Mike Brown got fired after LeBron left. No, didn't he get fired before LeBron left? And then nobody would take the job because they didn't know if there was like, they, if they were going to like have LeBron to coach or not. That's fair. Oh, and then, uh, then Byron Scott took the job. It was something along those lines. But yes, like, yeah, like if he didn't, but that happened when he was about to leave. I don't know. It's 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 interesting. It's just it's just an interesting timing is all I'll say. Like I don't I just it just seems a little bit weird. But Hey man, flex Luca, you know, do your thing. Like just, you know, feel it out. You're entering a new world of power and just see what you got. It's, it's funny because he's had this power since he balled out as a rookie, but we'll see what happens. Yo, I just But you wanna, gotta come um, into it. You gotta like realize it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll see what happens. Okay, before we get out of here, I wanna bring somebody to um to the show um have you seen Siri? you're on twitter a bit have you seen this uh show um in this bit of content called pack watch i haven't well um it's something by our cmo our chief meme officer um jomi um every time a team loses in the postseason he puts them on pack watch um and so we decided to bring that to real ones. And Jomi, you have two minutes to put the Denver Nuggets on pack watch uninterrupted. You have two minutes. Let's talk about the uh, Denver Nuggets. What do you have to say about that team? Well, the Denver Nuggets got swept by the Phoenix Suns. And it's honestly, it's tough, you know, with no Jamal Murray. You know, I mean, I could go on. You know, I could talk about how Nikola Jokic 
You know, the league MVP literally went out swinging. You know, I could talk about Michael Porter Jr. You know, the only shot he won't take is the COVID vaccine, you know, or I could talk about Aaron Gordon. You know, you can take the man out of Orlando, but you can't take the Orlando out of the man. Right. But what I want to focus this pack watch on, I don't know if you guys saw the video floating around this weekend where these Suns fans or these Nuggets fans got into it a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Suns in four. Right. You, you see, um, I saw a very interesting video of where the t- the dudes who we saw get beat up. Right. It, the v- video's got seven point eight million views. Right. They got they got packed up in that fight. They went on Snapchat. And tried to tell the world, oh, man, yeah. I, oh, yeah, we won that fight. We beat that dude up. Yeah, 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 yeah. All that smack. Like, we didn't like we didn't see them dudes get clapped in 4K online, man. We, we synced it. We synced it. You went on there and lied. And now they use some colorful language that, you know, they shouldn't be using. You know what I'm saying? They was out there acting a right fool. And that's why they're on pack watch. Mm. Thank you, Jeremy. Now, we have predictions. We have one game. Sirit. Tomorrow we have the Brooklyn Nets versus the Milwaukee Bucks. Game five. Kyrie, we do not know when he is coming back. It's looking scary for Brooklyn right now. What is your prediction on that game? That's such a it's a hard series to predict. I think I think Brooklyn will win game five. Mm. Yeah, I think, you know. Kevin Durant at home. Actually, I don't even feel that strongly about that. Let me think about this. While you think about that, while you while you marinate on that, I'm going to uh-huh. go with the Milwaukee Bucks winning okay. on the road. Okay. I got P.J. Tucker mm-hmm. playing just enough defense to help Kevin just off his rocker. Just a little bit. Kevin's like right at 50%. I got that. And I got Giannis just saying, you know what? I'm going to take this, man. I'm going to take this. You guys are under man, and I really don't care. So I'm going to go with the Bucks. Okay. Okay. Do you think they'll let PJ defend KD as physically as he did, especially given like how big of a story that's been? We'll see. At home. We'll see. I, I made my pick, Sarah. I made my pick, okay. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think the Nets can take this game. Um, they're going to have to hit shots. I think Joe Harris is going to have to hit a lot of shots. Um, Kevin's going to have to have man. one of those 50-point games tomorrow. He's going to have to want one of those. Well, they do have they do have shooters and they got they have guys that can space the floor um and play defense at the same time. They can run. Um they've like managed to actually muck it up pretty good with with the Bucks. Like they've been pretty physical. I think if they get hot, they can win. Um Kevin Durant's gonna have to do everything. But like Kevin Durant knows that. He's done everything before. Mm. We'll see. I still got the Bucks. So who you got? You still haven't made your decision. Yeah, I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm, I'm taking the Nets. Okay. All right. Well, that's been another edition of Real Ones. Thank you, Sarah, for as a guest host. We will see you guys on Thursday. But first, make sure you check out Ringer NBA on all your social feeds. Make sure you check out um, everything on the Ringer NBA feed. That's group chat. That is the answer, which you can. <laughs> You can also, I think someone co-hosts that. Oh, that's Sirid. Sirid co-hosts The that Answer be, with Chris Ryan every Friday. Make sure you check that out. Um, oh, make sure you check you. out Black Girl Songbook, which is on hiatus with Daniel Smith, Town Legend. Make sure you check out R2C2 of Vallejo Legend, CC Sabathia. Make sure that you check out the Ringer Music Show. Check out Ringerverse. Check out everything on the Ringer, on the Ringer feed. We will see you guys on Thursday. Holla. Holla.